this is Rishonda Thornton, the Dietitian Against Diets podcast. Welcome. As we're getting ready to go into our particular particular guests, I want to um, do a shout out to some of my companies that I partner with here for the podcast show. Um, Prairie Farm. So Prairie Farm, if any of those are not familiar with Prairie Farms, Prairie Farms is a uh, farm-owned dairy company since 1938. So they've been around for a while. Um, during the COVID-19 epidemic that we're all facing right now, it is important that we are staying at home and have confidence in knowing that the dairy farmers from Prairie Farms are working hard to make sure that we are, they're keeping their shelves stocked, so that you guys are getting all the dairy products that you need to make sure that you're getting all the nutrients that you need. Um, go to their website at prairiefarm.com uh, um, forward slash stay home for recipes, coupons, videos, or visit them on Facebook at Prairie Farms. Um, they're on uh, Instagram as well at Prairie Farms. And you can also go to their website and even to see some, some stories about their farmers, some videos, and learn more about the organization. Another um, podcast partner I have um, is someone at a company here in St. Louis um, by the name of Precision Massage. So Precision Massage, it stands um, out from other massage companies because what they do is they provide targeted pain relief um, using neuromuscular um, therapy approach. Um, for example, in your back, you have five, it's five to six reasons as to why your lower back hurts. What Precision Massage does is they target that particular area um, and helps to relieve the pain. Um, you call it spot on treatment. So if your insurance, if you don't fit the insurance model or you utilize all your time from your physical therapy to your insurance company, um, precision massage fills in the gaps and make sure that you're still moving forward and making sure that you're, you're strengthening your body and you're still healthy. Go to their website at precision-massage.stl and set up an appointment. This is a great opportunity to get gift cards, uh, support St. Louis local, local companies. Um, precision massage, where massage is not a luxury, but a necessity. Well, hello everyone. This is Rishonda Thornton and welcome to the Dietitian Against Diets podcast show. Uh, the topic of discussion today is considering what we're going through with COVID-19 right now, we're going to uh, talk about the changes in academic and in the sports world. So I want to uh, lead you into that because I want to introduce you to my guest. Uh, his name is Victor Kaiser. He is the uh, program director uh, and associate program, I'm sorry, associate professor at Maryville University. Um, that says a lot, but within that scope, he does everything from working with the students. He facilitates some of the training um, programming and um, centers. He consults with the St. Louis Blues for those who are in St. Louis. Um, and he also works with tactical teams. Um, but prior to all of that, he has come from years of service. Thank you for your service, sir. Um, uh, with 20 years, he's a 20-year veteran. Um, and he's also working on his dissertation to get his doctorate um, in uh, health promotion and wellness. So we got a lot going on. And on top of that, he's also a father. <laughs> he's a father of, and a husband, of course, um, of four boys. So with that being said, there's a lot going on with this gentleman, but it's definitely a lot of accolades. And I'm very uh, glad that you're able to come on the show today, Victor. Well, it's my pleasure. I will yes. say I, I'm just an assistant professor right now. I'm looking forward to that bump, but not yet. Okay, so we're almost there. <laughs> well, you've done a lot for the department, even just from the short period of time that you and I met. So um, Victor and I, um, we met through, um, it's kind of a long story how we met, but the long 
But to make it short, um, I actually ended up um, being one of his adjunct professors um, in his exercise science department. Um, and he also uh, gave me the pleasure of being my uh, preceptor when I was doing my graduate work at Maribel University. So we had an opportunity to really kind of get to know each other a lot more and um, build a relationship. Um, and so uh, that brings us to our topic, because um, Victor works within the academic field. Um, so Victor, is there anything else you want to say that maybe have missed in your introduction? No, I, I never did pretty well. That's a lot of stuff in there. <laughs> okay, hope I didn't make you blush. <laughs> uh, but one of my questions before we get into that particular topic, um, you have a uh, you have a lot of things you've done within the time you've been here on Earth, and I think all of it is centered towards physical fitness, wellness, and exercise. Working with um, sports and working with athletes, you know, uh, what what was it about that? Like, how are you become so engulfed into this industry? What happened in your life, or what what just made that the thing that you decide you want to do for the rest for, as your career? Well, as as you mentioned. I have just over 20 years in the Army now. I spent seven and a half on some form of active federal service, and the rest of it has been in the reserve. So physical fitness is obviously a very strong portion of the culture within the military. I didn't really have too much going on prior to that. I wrestled 90 pounds my freshman year, so um, I didn't really grow up into manhood until probably 20, 21 years old. So I, I didn't really hit the weights too much when I was younger, you know, outside of classes in high school where the coach didn't really pay any attention to us. Um, so fast forward a few years into my military career, I'd only been doing calisthenics based stuff because that's all we used to do in the military because it's, it's easy, it's cheap, it's free. Um, and when I was a recruiter, a buddy of mine named Kelly, uh, he thought we should go to the, the gym because it would be a way to get away from work for a little bit. So as a recruiter, we were spending 10, 12, 14 hour days in the office or in our car, depending upon uh, what day of the week it was. Obviously we're, we're in a car, we're at a desk, we're sitting down a lot, very sedentary. And so we picked up a few gym memberships, started going, and I just I fell in love with it. You know, obviously it, it does, outside of the physical changes, it's, it's great from a psychological standpoint. Uh, gave us a little bit of a reprieve. Obviously, everybody loves when your appearance starts changing. And I just kept going with it. Uh, I went to Iraq and I got a couple people really involved. So I started training individuals in Iraq that were on my team or were close to my team. I uh, went to, had four months home from Iraq before I went into Afghanistan. And I started training, I don't know, probably somewhere between 15 and 20 people picked up my first uh, personal trainer certification and then okay. came home and started going to school, um, which is mostly true. I, I guess I did take a few online classes when I was in both Iraq and Afghanistan. And you know, I just had a lot of really great mentors in the right places. Once I started the academic process um, where I went to school, they allowed me to get 12 hours of graduate credit as a senior. So then it was only 24 more hours to get my master's degree. So I just went ahead and, and got that accomplished at the same school. And then okay. that school said, if you wanted to start your doctorate, we'll give you full-time employment as a visiting lecturer or special lecturer. I can't remember what the title was. And 
I just kept going with it. Uh, the only reason I left that university was because I left for the Army again. I uh, went to a basic officer leadership course because I decided to, to become an officer after making it up to an E7, Sergeant First Class. And then I went and taught at the Army's Master Fitness Trainer School. Um, once they were getting ready to, to move that school from Fort Knox, Kentucky, to Fort Dix, New Jersey, they were getting rid of officers because it was going to a um, NCO Academy. And I got lucky that, that Maryville came along. They were looking for a consultant. Okay. So the, the program was kind of initially developed and approved by the Higher Learning Commission. I, I came in to just kind of massage the details, get all the groundwork laid out. I guess I did a really great job because they asked me to come work full time as an assistant professor and program director. Wow. I mean, it seemed like it was just meant to be the way it all just kind of lined up, you know. Uh, I'm assuming that you are enjoying your position there. I'm constantly seeing new things that you are uh, trailblazing. So I just really, I'm glad I had the experience to just be within the space and just like know like all the things about all the things that you've done uh, prior to Maryville University and now. Um, so yeah, thanks for sharing. I think the most important part, I think this will transition into to where we're going, mm -hmm. is that I'm given a lot of autonomy at Maryville. So there's a lot of really great um, academic individuals who've, who've got a tremendous number of world-class ideas. They're not able to always put those into action because the administration isn't willing uh, to push that envelope. You know, Maryville has a very, very large nursing program that's been around for a very long time. Mm -hmm. Hopefully I don't get it wrong. It was either the, the mid-70s or mid-80s, I believe. Hopefully I'm not wrong on that. Um, and I like to liken what I do in education to a nurse, or at least a nursing environment. So let's say you get your undergraduate degree in nursing, you're working in an emergency room, and someone comes in having a code or a heart attack or something life-threatening. If that nurse has only been practically prepared as much as a lot of other undergraduate programs, remember that the key thing there is the practical education, then that loved one of yours is going to die. She's because they don't have, yeah. they have the scientific knowledge. They don't have the hands-on skill set to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. So like I said, I've been very lucky. Maryville gives me the autonomy to do that. And they've, they've purchased some of the equipment that has allowed us to educate in a different way. That's what we're really looking for here. Is we're looking to make sure that we can provide as much of a, a scientific blend of that, that back-end knowledge with the physical aspect of actually performing the task so that when someone is done with four years of school and many thousands of dollars, they can go to work and actually start working. Yeah, yeah. And that's one thing that stood out to me when I uh, became um, uh, on staff. Um, or actually on faculty, um, just to see this ability to, to that you're, Maryville to me seems that they're open-minded and are also innovative, you know? And I know, especially considering some of the classes are, are hybrid, some of the classes are online, you're building out even more online programming. So in light of um, us getting the news about the schools are literally closing for the semester and we're really unsure what that means for the fall and the following uh, semesters, um, considering that Maryville University has already kind of embraced the online um, format, um, how is that transition for you guys to completely have to move everything over online? 
I can't speak for other universities, but I would say that we are probably in the top 5% of how easy this transition has gone. So a little bit of a background about Maryville. When I first got there, I guess 2016, they were rolling out an iPad, a one-to-one iPad initiative. So all of our traditional daytime undergrad students as part of their uh, fees package was given an iPad. Now on the back end, we have two professional development weeks per year, one in May, one in August. They're, they're different focuses for each, but there's always a piece of that that tries to get faculty to understand and engage in an active learning environment. Okay. So we're, we have a digital transformation where everyone's got an iPad. We've got, from a physical on-campus standpoint, we have nearly as many Wi-Fi access points as Mizzou, and I think you can run around campus in less than three quarters of a mile. Our campus is a circle for those that haven't been there. Um, so we, we focused a lot on the technological piece. Now, everybody's moving to Zoom right now. Um, okay. we got, we've, we've gone through a transition. Sam Harris is one of the guys that really focuses on the, the active learning piece of technology as far as providing things for the faculty and staff at Maryville. Um, I'm sorry, I can't remember what his, his uh, actual title is, but he's, he's the man behind the curtain that makes all the magic happen. And um, whenever it comes to this, we've, we've been transitioning this process. We, we completely opened up the Microsoft suite of stuff and had tried Skype for business, and it just didn't work out very well for us. Mm-hmm. So we picked up Zoom probably about two or three months before the whole school shut down, quarantine, and everybody else started pushing through this. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, it says a lot about, you know, our vulnerabilities and how to have a backup plan and be well-versed in it to where there isn't too much of a lag in between. I know there are a lot of high schools that are really trying to get their students on board. And then you got other schools that don't have the ability because their students don't have perhaps a laptop, you know? So, you know, there are a lot of different um, obstacles that different institutes are facing. Um, but when it comes to student life, you know, I know that you have been able to really transition easily over to the, the uh, online format. Uh, for student life, what about, um, and this goes for I'm sure a lot of universities as far as speaking for it, um, how has it gone for their student life? Like when it comes to their housing, uh, when it comes to their eating, like though, do students have to literally go back home or is there something set in place for those students in the meantime? So I probably can't give any numbers out, but Maryville was early. We were, it was us in Mizzou were the first two to offer refunds for room and board. Oh. So, um, and, I don't know the cost that that was, but I know that it was it was very hefty. So most students went back home, and we completely okay. understand that there's a challenge that they might be facing with that. So one of Maryville's strategic plans has to do with diversity and inclusion. So we understand that we've got a lot of students that might be going back to those areas of lower income. So I don't know the, the process of everything that's happened on the back end, but thanks to partnerships, in the community, I think a lot of people are getting access to Wi-Fi for free or for cheap um, using their iPads, or we've even lent out some computers to individuals. Not as many students, but specialty, especially faculty that go back to these areas, trying to make sure that they have access to the technology that's needed. For all of our, our resident on-ground types of courses, 
we've always used Canvas as a learning management system. The nice part about that is unlike the days of the past where and probably some schools still do this, you would take your exams, uh, any of your homework stuff that'd be done on paper and turned in. We utilize Canvas for most of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So even in the courses that are resident on-ground courses, there's still a hybrid component. So our students were already very well versed in the technological piece of that. Now where we're making things unique is we're offering synchronous classes. Like we're meeting at the regular time of day that we would always meet, which okay. we think is really helping the psychological component of being on quarantine right now. Sure, through Zoom, we're recording all of our lectures. So if students can't make it, like I've got one student who's in Alaska. So he's a couple hours behind. I've got an, an early morning class, so that's very early for him. So for those students that can't make the regular scheduled meetings, they can still pop on and watch the recording. However, what it seems like we're finding is that there's still a sense of belonging for the students and a sense of engagement, with their peers, because of those synchronous meetings that we're having. And yeah. like I said at the beginning when you asked the question, a lot of our students did go home, but there are several handfuls uh, that, that weren't able to do that. And we moved them out of the dorms, put them in apartments so that they're not you know, in a, a shared facility with two or three other individuals. They're in their own apartment, they've got a kitchenette, and they still have access to all those pieces of technology. Okay. I mean, that's, that says a lot, you know, as far as you guys were being, pro, being proactive and being ahead of the game and not being reactive. Cause I think a lot of, you know, this is kind of um, blindsided us and a lot is leaving a lot of um, people and places in uh, institutions that's kind of frazzled. Um, and so just bringing the fact that you guys are able to bring, have already have this being a part of what you do in your education. It just makes it a lot more easier for not just the students, but I'm sure that some of the the, fa the staff and faculty, there is not a big change for them either. I'm assuming, right? Um, it's 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 pretty close to business as usual. I mean, I've got my my Maryville polo here. I <laughs> I hang it up on a hanger right back here by my door, so I can just pop it on whenever um, I'm jumping online. We've got Put on some your uniform. We've got some faculty that we're that wear weird stuff, something different every single time they jump on camera, just to kind of get a smile out of the students. Uh, I think something that unique that we're going to find is, as a species, we are very very good at adapting. Mm -hmm. You know, we we might not we might be resilient to change until we're forced, but as soon as we're forced to make make changes, we adapt to it very quickly. I think one of the outcomes that we'll see, and this is a prediction here, is that there's going to be no such thing as a snow day anymore. I, think I know. This is technology. <laughs> I never thought about that one. Even if we can't physically get to campus anymore. But it'll be safer because now if campus isn't closed, students are worried about, well, I'm going to be, I'm going to miss the material. It's not recorded. Mm -hmm. uh, Maryville is a non-attendance taking school, but faculty can choose to set attendance policies by themselves. Yes. So if, if they're in a class where there's an attendance policy, they're going to miss out. And then we ultimately really want to worry about the safety of the individual. And, you know, depending upon where somebody lives, you know, their roads might not be clean. They might have a steep road to travel on, whatever the case is. Now they can still attend class. 
chances are in their PJs. You know, I, I had two classes earlier today, probably 30% of my students were still in bed. Um, you know, whether that, that's where their desk is, <laughs> they just learning. lay in bed with their iPad <laughs> and they watch class. And yeah. the weird part is, so I make my students, unless they've got a very specific reason for why they can't, I make sure that they turn on their camera. Cause I, I trust my students. I don't think they're going to turn on their camera and then run away. You know, obviously that mm-hmm. could happen, but I think giving everybody an opportunity to see each other is much more beneficial than them having their, their camera and their microphone muted. I agree. It means a lot to actually see the person when you're, when you're talking. I mean, it's, it, you know, even now since everyone is kind of in a position where they have to do something virtually, I'm going to find out for myself, FaceTiming or Zooming someone, it's, I mean, you still have that same connection as far as the facial expressions or having a connection with that person. It goes further than just a, vo- a voice on the phone now. So I can see how um, just having the students together on one platform helps them all to feel like they're still a part of, they're still, their classmates are there in real time, their professors are there in real time. And I, I think it, it only encourages them to continue to um, in their education at least throughout this semester as we're dealing with this. And it's funny when you said no snow days, because I can only imagine what, you know, our elementary, our younger younger students, elementary and high school students, they can't wait for snow days. Yep. <laughs> so this may cancel out snow days. <laughs> um, yep. But to switch gears real quick, um, now this is, this, is, this is where I am really curious to how, what, what's your perspective on what's happening? What can, what do you see moving forward? So considering like, our student athletes, you know, um, not having that ability to, you know, or, or, or have you guys come up or have you heard of any ways that they've been able to um, keep the students in some form of training, some, you know, mentality of staying, you know, with their team um, virtually, like, or have everything just been put on pause considering that we won't probably have any sports, uh, obviously, um, summer, but potentially fall and winter. So I think the first thing that we always have to watch out for as an NCAA institution, we're a division two, is that we've got to take all guidance from them. The NCAA has been very, very limited on how much guidance they put out. Initially, they were saying we couldn't contact any students. I don't know the final ruling, but we're a part of the GLVC, the Great Lakes Valley Conference, and they've said that we can do stuff. So I've got a guy that works for me, Jake Fitz. Um, He's a blend of lab coordinator for the exercise science program and partially our strength and conditioning coach. So what he has done is he's gone back with our team. We use a software system called Team Builder. It, It allows us to build all of our workouts in there, track all of the weights that athletes are using for repetitions and allows us to um, build reports on the back end. We can provide exercise instruction in written or video format with all of those. We can tag videos based on movement patterns. So that has really helped. For those that don't have access to equipment, we've gone in and put in more of a body weight calisthenics type of program so they can still be engaged. The unique part about this is we all have this idea of what perfect looks like or what right should be. But at the end of the day, in any aspect of our professions, it's all about providing a stressful stimulus to the system from which you adapt from. 
So with all this body weight calisthenic based stuff, we're not getting the type of strength work that we're used to where we can't load up a barbell heavy and do some mm -hmm. deadlift or, or squats, but we can stress the tissue in a much different way than we're used to between, you know, eccentrically loading tissue, isometrically putting people in certain spots. There's a lot that we can still do to challenge the athlete with a, a fairly high level of intensity, depending upon, you know, what angle you're using that phrase. And sometimes, I think Jake did it even this morning or yesterday morning, uh, he will Zoom with some of the teams and will lead them yeah. through a training session through Zoom. Now, whether or not one of our athletes have equipment or not is based on, you know, what they're going back home to. They already had something there. Or uh, if the coaches have spent money out of their own budget to buy things like resistance bands. Uh, resistance bands are, you know, relatively cheap. You can get some high value training done with resistance bands. And so we, where needed, we've used that as well. Okay. And that's, um, I mean, that reminds me, I was speaking with someone uh, yesterday and her husband is a coach. He coaches high school and he said something very similar to what you mentioned, um, having all the, the team players um, zooming real time and taking them through a workout and utilizing, you know, knowing what they have with their own respective mm -hmm. homes, but keeping a, a, a structure going so they're just not gonna you know you want to make obviously their level of athleticism or their skill set will not progress to that level but at least you can find a way to keep them active and maintain just that camaraderie even so um by utilizing the virtual component of um of of uh i guess a zoom or um, whatever they're the what'd you call it team built what was the name team of that, that uh, team built yeah um, so I'm assuming that, you know, as we're, as we're, if we're going to scale this up, uh, outside of just the, cause hopefully there are other universities that have already embraced this, this formality, but when you're looking at scaling this out, um, do you, how do you, for, where do you foresee the, the world of sports going? I know that you made a great statement about, um, as soon as we adapt, <laughs> I think we, we, we adapt well when we, when we need to, um, but. It, I will say there's a big gap, you know, in our in our day um, or in our weeks when we're not having those sports playing in the background, and it may be unforeseen when we're going to be able to even, you know, see it or experience it again. Um, how do you see the world of sports on a larger scale, kind kind of adjusting to that? So I I think we always need to make sure that we're focusing on on two aspects of athlete wellness. So first, like we've talked about a couple times already is a psychological component. Uh, one of my younger kids, Keegan, who's six, we use Zoom just so he can touch base with his teammates. And we also do it with his kindergarten class. I wanna liken this a little bit to a, a serious injury that an athlete sustains. As a, a high school, especially a collegiate athlete, the sport is their identity. So as soon as we take that away from them, they can find themselves in a pretty dark place. Now, historically, we're only used to this happening with you know major injuries that require surgery, but I think the context is still the same. So making sure that we are communicating and engaging with those athletes is extremely important. Communication is something that, that by and large really hasn't been the focus in too many of our fields because we always just want to work, worry about the X's and O's 
um, what is the best methodology to get this desired result, etc. cetera. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I think you know, we built a course on it thanks to a buddy of mine who's been a very, very strong advocate in the field, Brett Bartholomew. He wrote a book called Conscious Coaching, and he's, he's produced some courses that are all about that communication piece. I think the coaches that were, or the professionals that were slow to adapt to the need to upskill their communication piece and not just their scientific piece are finally learning how incredibly important that was. We have to connect, we have to engage, and we have to do it on the terms of the individual. I was fortunate that I was able to learn this piece from the military early on, even though if if you watch anything military-related that comes from Hollywood or or, maybe you know somebody in the military that, that still had this style of leadership, what the Army teaches, and most likely other branches, is part of our leadership model is that your style has to adapt to the individual that you lead. Some people want to be screamed at. They need to be screamed at in order to respond. Whereas other people that are screamed at are going to kind of back down. They're going to go hide in the corner and you're not going to get any level of performance or success out of them. Right now, more than ever, we need to make sure that we're tailoring our message to that individual and what they need. The second piece is that we have to make sure that people are engaging in some type of activity for for establishing a strong tissue tolerance. Otherwise, whenever we go back to sports, what's going to happen is that people are going to be at a much higher risk of injury because a lot of coaches are, or even the athletes themselves are going to think that they can go right back to where they left off. And our training hasn't allowed that what we've been doing probably isn't enough for that to take place. And if we go, let's say we were at 85%, if we go back to 85% again, when we really should be at 60, and those are just completely random numbers, mm-hmm. that extra 25% is going to cause an injury. Yes. So yes. how are we going to adapt? I think the adaptation is going to be unique to different pockets of individuals. So Maryville uses an online cloud-based software service. That's a really easy thing to use. We can put everything in one. There's many different types of these out there, any number of different price points. People can use it if you're training, you know, you're one individual training 20 people up to I can put in as many coaches as I want and I get a thousand athletes. So there's a lot in the software realm. Okay, but and that's, but that's specific to Maryville. Does there are other comparable programs like that for other universities, or they have the ability to? to- Team Builder is something out there in the marketplace that we purchased. It's not something that we we own or develop. So anybody can go out there and use that. There's plenty of other ones. You know, there's some that get up that are considered athlete management systems that can get up to around twenty thousand dollars a year, and there are okay. others. Like I said, as an individual, you might pay $50 a month to have 20 of your clients in there. Some of them are only workout builders. Some allow you to put testing in there, and a couple of them allow you to build uh, nutrition plans. Oh, wow. Given what your background is, that part sometimes scares me because it's not a lot (laughs) of dietitians that are running the system. Mm, So I, I do always caution people on that. Um, because I am not a dietitian, and I know what my role and my scope of practice is. We can give general guidelines, but somebody better not be anywhere near close to prescriptive. 
Um, well, we just need the background education in that. Well, I definitely see where there can definitely be a need right now, considering um, in regards to just having someone or having a uh, professional that's capable of creating um, a program or creating some real time, um, uh, I guess, work with with the, you know, whomever they're working with, with their clients um, yeah. in the dietetic field. Um, and that that leads me into, you know, as we're getting ready to close, you know, so when it, you know, you're on a branch of, of more of the fitness and performance. Um, and uh, I'm on a branch of more of the, the nutrition and the wellness. Um, so when you are working, when you're seeing how society is kind to kind of, I guess, adjusting or reacting or coping uh, with the limitations they're faced with, um, what would be like your words or how are you, how are you taking this opportunity to maintain your wellness, maintain your health? despite not having the ability to, you know, do the things you typically do? I think we're all fortunate that, well, I can't say we're all. I'm in a unique setting because I can still do my work from my computer, no matter where that is. So I can be at home in my office in the basement. For others that are in a similar situation like that, we typically have a, a few more minutes, maybe an extra hour or so of time in our day because maybe we're not commuting anymore. My mm -hmm. shortest commute with no traffic is 35 minutes. If 270 is bad, it could take me an hour and five hour and 10 minutes. So I'm saving anywhere between a little over an hour to two hours a day in traffic. Today specifically, if you look at my Facebook, I've got a couple pictures up with the kids, uh, two of them, Quinn, who's only three, and Noah, who's 13. Noah and I were going to run today. And well, we were going to jog for distance today. I'm not very much of an aerobic individual, but one day per week, we do an aerobic type of extra okay. type of training session. And probably two days a week, we do anaerobic intervals. And then we lift weights three days. Quinn saw me putting on shoes and he said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm going for a run. And he clung to me and would not let go. So I had to make an adaptation today. I had to adapt to the stimulus that was provided. So instead of going on a run, and my subdivision happens to be um, the route that I take is almost a perfect two miles if I go down everything twice. Now, I don't like running for two miles, but that's the number <laughs> that the army makes me run, and I'm still in, so I need to be conditioned for that. <laughs> gotcha. Makes sense. Noah also asked me what I love about our subdivision. So not only is it perfect for running two miles, but all of our side streets are flat. So a hundred meters out my door is a flat street. So since Quinn decided he wanted to go today and I couldn't just run through the entire subdivision and be mm -hmm. you know, upwards of a mile away from my house, I decided that we were gonna run our intervals today instead of on, okay. so on Friday. Okay. Or we could stay close by. I taught from 11 to 12, well, 11 to 11.50. And then I, I taught again at one. So I had an hour block of time. So I utilized that small window to go outside. Mm -hmm. We ended up running, uh, we, we warmed up. After our warm up, we did six 40 meter sprints. And then I did six 200 meter intervals. So I'd, I'd run for maybe um, 30 seconds, rest for a minute, and then do it again. So, okay. so essentially, you create your carving. What I hear is that. That's something that would be great for people to think about, like the commute time, 
you know, you have that twice that you can consult, use that time to do something active now. So it's, it's more so now it's about how are you reallotting your time and incorporating something intentional when it comes to wellness instead of feeling like, oh, there's nothing to do. There's so many options out there. So I, I'm glad that you use your example because I think people can kind of, kind of relate to that and give them ideas on what they can do to maintain their wellness. Um, and the intensity is based on the individual. I mean, there's a lot of times where I just go out and walk. Even before this, every single morning, I would wake up probably at least an hour before I needed to wake up because my parents live right behind me and my mom had to go to work earlier than me. So I woke up an hour early just so I could get in a 30, 35 minute walk with my mom. Like it's amazing how much just walking for a half an hour a day can change your life from a health perspective and wellness perspective. Yes. Wow. That's another good one. <laughs> well, Victor, I really appreciate that. Um, I really appreciate you just taking a moment because I know I think I caught you in between meetings or in between classes. Uh, the good thing is, again, with the virtual component, we don't have to drive anywhere. We can, can create these conversations and this communication right out of our own dining room area or in our own office. So uh, I appreciate you taking the time to explain kind of what you see in the, in the transition from the, ac in the academia standpoint and in the athletic um, environment um again i appreciate you coming um do you have anything that you would like for any viewers or listeners to know before we head out first it's my pleasure secondly it's it's so cliche but when it comes to resilience it's all about how we we fight or we we manage adversity so the, the really annoyingly cliche thing is whenever you're faced with a challenge let's say a wall and you're thrown at that wall, are you going to be a tennis ball or an egg? Like I mentioned earlier, it's all about stress, right? How do we manage the stress that we're pushed or faced with in life? Um, and then secondly, it's the mentality piece, right? Two people can be placed in the exact same situation, go through the exact same things, and have a completely different mentality on the backside. Like I said earlier, we're meant to adapt. So utilize different stress management techniques, whatever works for you, and try to always think about the positive aspects of what you're faced with. I'm yes. the kind of person that always puts too much on my plate and never says no. This whole COVID-19 quarantine issue has taken a lot of things that I want to do, that I should do, that I feel I should do in life off of my plate. But what it has done for me, and specifically, I'm I was supposed to go teach a class in London from May 9th through June 6th. I don't get to do that now. Mm -hmm. My best friend is British and lives 45 minutes outside of London. We live together in Afghanistan. When I went last year, I didn't get to see him because he was deployed again. This year, he was going to be on block leave, and we would get to spend a ton of time together. So I don't yeah. get that. Now, mm -hmm. I know there are many people that are facing much worse things. But the yes. positive side of all of this is now I'm spending way more time with my wife and my children, and I'm still getting the things accomplished that I need to get accomplished. I just had to adapt and do it a little bit different of a way. Yeah. Well, guys, you hear what he said. I mean, great um, nuggets um, that I haven't even thought about. You know, right now in these times, it's all about really adapting and how you're choosing, how you're choosing to handle and deal with it. Re recognizing your stress, 
create some stress management techniques to get you through this because this um, is a challenge just like anything else in life, but take this challenge as an opportunity. That's how I look at it. Um, Victor Kaiser, again, thank you for being a part of the podcast show. Um, this is Rashonda Thornton, the Dietitian Against Diets. Remember, it's not about going against diets. It's about going against the diet mentality and rebuilding your relationship and your connection with what you eat. Have a great, guy. Have a great day, guys, and see you next time. Bye. Well, as we're closing from today's podcast show, I want to recognize a local company here in St. Louis by the name of Bannerow Baking Company. Right now, they have been labeled as the world's best granola. And your question may be why. Well, I'll tell you, their um, owner slash chef um, is named Ann Croy, and she has made sure every ingredient is up to grade. She's also been innovative in her flavors. I call them flavor clashes because um, she puts combinations of um, flavors together that you won't particularly see any uh, given uh, grocery store. Uh, I'll give you a few examples. One of her popular ones is called Kickstart. Kickstart is a combination of chocolate and coffee. She has another one called Oh Snap. If you can put those words together, it's a combination of ginger and molasses. And last but not least, I think this is one of my favorites. It's called Mocha Morning. <laughs> it's a combination of mocha, hazelnut, and malt. Um, if you go to their website right now until the end of April um, and make any purchases online about $25, you will get free shipping if you type in the code STAY STRONG in all capital letters. Um, Banner Road is known for, they're known also for being the world best granola because they take no shortcuts or concessions. Go to their website at bannerroads.com or find them on Facebook at Banner Roads or on Instagram at Banner Roads. Mm -hmm.